So we're going to go through Majjhimanikaya uh, number two now, which is a Sabhasava Sutta, uh, translated as all the defilements. So the sutta begins uh, by saying the Buddha was staying near Savati, in Jeta's Grove, and uh, he addressed the monks saying, Monks, I will teach you the explanation of the restraint of all defilements. Uh, listen and apply your mind well. I will speak. And the Buddha continues. Monks, I say that the ending of defilements is for the one who knows and sees, not for the one who does not know or see. For one who knows and sees what? Attention through source and attention through not source. When you attend not through the source, defilements arise. Once arisen, they grow. When you attend through the source, defilements don't arise, and those that have already arisen are given up, dispelled. Some defilements should be given up by seeing, some by restraint, some by using, and some by bearing, some by avoiding, and some by dispelling, and some by developing. So let's go to the beginning of this, <coughs> where the Buddha says, Monks, I say that the ending of defilements is for the one who knows and sees, not for the one who doesn't know or see. So this statement um, means that the teaching that's about to follow, that, that the instructions he's about to give, apply to somebody who already has the right view. So at least the Sotapanna. So the one who sees, knows and sees the way out of suffering, not the one who doesn't know and see way out of suffering. In other words, if a person without a right view were to then just try and do uh, and bear things or develop things and all these other things that the Buddha will describe one should do in the Sutta, uh, it simply won't take place because they're missing the prerequisite for it. Prerequisite for it is, as it says, as it continues here, for one who, um, who knows and sees what? So what is it that distinguishes a Sotapanna from a Putujana? What is it, what is that necessary prerequisite that then makes the rest of this the rest of the sutta apply? That is attention through the source and attention not through the source. Or as we, as we probably people that follow this channel they already know the term Pali term is Yoniso Manasikara and Ayoniso Manasikara. Uh, we translated that in the past as concurrent attention, root attention, attention with the source. Um, basically, yoniso manasikara, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's like 50% of the right view, let's put it that way. Um, in, in the sutta where the Buddha describes that there are two factors that, uh, for the rising of the right view. Uh, one is utterance of another, in other words, one is correct instruction. Another one is yoniso manasikara. So, you could be talking to the Buddha himself and he can be giving you the most correct, the most accurate instruction, you won't be understanding it if Yoniso Manasikara is not developed. Now, Yoniso Manasikara, Yoniso means womb, Manasikara means attention, so womb attention, uh, the source, the origin attention. Like That has been translated in, in many different ways, and um, so the point is like, you, you know, the common translation is like a wise reflection or wise attention, implying it's something a person can just do after some serious consideration. And you can take it to mean that, but then you should ask yourself, okay, so 
if I have Yonisum and Sikara according to the meaning of wise consideration, for example, so I am wisely considering things, and I got the right instruction, all the suttas, all the, all the Nikayas, why am I not having the right view? Because these are the two only factors for the right view. If Yonisumanasikara meets the right instruction, right view has to take place. So then, if a person is honest, they would ask themselves, or well, they would inquire further and recognize that, okay, so it's either not the right instruction, or perhaps my understanding of the first factor of Yonisumanasikara, it's not adequate. And that's the problem, like, these things that we, that we would often say, oh, it's, it's, it's wrong, it's a wrong translation, it's, a, it's not that they're completely wrong. So it's, it's, it's nothing wrong in saying Yonisumanasikara is wise consideration, because Yonisumanasikara implies wise consideration. But if, if it's limited just to the uh, concept of wise consideration, you won't look further. You won't make it even more <coughs> significant and profound which is obviously necessary because, as, as the Sutta says, as the other Sutta say, Yonisumanasikara, instruction of another, means the right view. There is no third option there. So, if there is no right view upon meeting the teaching, it's either because the teaching is either wrong or you don't have Yonisumanasikara. You need to revise and reconsider, ironically, what Yonisumanasikara means and how deep that goes. So, that's why. The, the insistence and what I was translating in the past, calling it concurrent attention, it's just, it's just really more like just to, to kind of snap people out of that slumber of taking for granted. Oh yeah, wise reflection, wise consideration, I got that, I understand that, while at the same time knowing that they don't have the right view. So, if you say it's a concurrent attention or attention with the source, it's kind of, it's confusing and that's already a good starting point. Like, you won't be taking it for granted, you will take it as something that needs to be clarified and understood. Um, so, attention through the source, in, in this translation that we chose, and attention not through the source. So, um, you might wonder then, what, what source? Is it like some sort of mystical source? And, and uh, what, what source does that refer to? What is it? So, think about it. I mean, we did a whole like, I don't know how many talks on Yonisumana Sikara, and we can probably link them here in the description. Um, so people should, like, if they want to understand it, or, or get a um, bigger, wider picture on, on, on the indication of what it actually means, uh, they should definitely listen to those talks. So, like, in brief here now, without going into dedicating this whole talk just to discussion of Yoniso, attention with the source, or through the source, even better, again, implies the simultaneous presence of, say, that which you're attending, whatever they might be, particular, general, internal, external, personal, not personal, doesn't matter, whatever your current mind, currently your mind is occupied with, attending at, attending uh, to, simultaneous to that, there is a simultaneous presence of a necessary basis for that. So, whatever you were doing, whatever action you're engaged with, like your attention naturally goes with that direction and, and falls onto what you are doing. So the, the, the content of what you're doing. So that's why like the, the sensuality is one of the chief examples of of attending not through the source or not with the source simultaneously recognized there. Uh, you, you get overly 
um, concerned, overly invested, overly concentrated onto the objects of your senses, as opposed to not losing the sight, not losing the context, the perspective of whatever you are attending through your senses, the necessary basis, the source of that whole attending uh, to this particular thing that arose on account of my sight, the necessary basis is simultaneously present there as a necessary basis. If that basis is removed, if that source is taken away, no experience standing upon it can remain. And that is a recognition that Putujina can develop, can develop if he goes in that direction of, of Yoniso, which obviously he has to if he wants to get the right view. So in the in, in a more like a, in practical examples, the source is like, uh, well, you could say like, for example, if it's, um, if it's the, the central object you're looking at, the necessary source that's simultaneously present present there, it's uh, you could you could de de describe it as it's the uh, necessity of the body, more specifically necessity of the eye organs, which is the basis, the field for which on which these things can be discerned. Now people forget that people don't think about their eyes when they're preoccupied with a lustful sight or even disagreeable sight. They 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 look past the experience right here. So in like when you're experiencing sight, sound, smell, taste, touches, you're experiencing your senses experiencing sight, sound, smell, taste, touches. But those senses as an underlying basis are overlooked. People see sight, sound, smell, taste, touches directly, or they assume it's a direct connection, direct perception of sight, sound, smell, taste, touches over there in the world. Yet, really, the closest to the direct connection is just you being aware of what your senses are perceiving without seeing the senses, overlooking the source. So when you attend to the sense objects, you don't attend through the necessary basis of those sense objects. You completely ignore it. You're unaware of it. That's the point. So it's discerning that which is seemingly invisible. Your eye is invisible in your sights, yet is a necessary basis for sights to exist. So not losing the context of the necessity of the eyes when you are looking at the sights is already close to Yoniso, Yoniso Manasikara. So you might still be attending to the sense objects, but not at the expense of ignoring the necessary basis for those sense objects. It can go even further. Uh, you can discern the Yoniso Manasikara of your current, uh, currently, currently performed action. So say you are engaged in some action, say you're writing something, you're writing a letter as an example, intention to write a letter that binds all these acts of getting the paper, taking the pen, opening the paper, writing down the sentences, ideas, what you want to say, that whole thing, it's all contained within still having the intention to finish, to write and complete this letter. Because if halfway through that letter, intention to not write a letter, the state of mind changes, you stop writing the letter. And that's another thing that the people would overlook ignore or be unaware of when they act they don't see their intentions that are behind those actions giving the meaning to all the subsequent particular things you do to complete that action they remain unified with your original intention that intention doesn't go away it's not sitting there in the past it's carried through by all these actions that you're engaging with so these are the examples of discerning through the source now that in and of itself will not give rise to the to the right view if you're just discerning through the source, obviously would give rise to some degree of wisdom and some degree of withdrawal 
from being overly absorbed in sense objects, but it won't give rise to the right view in, even in and of itself. But if somebody does have that way of attending, not overlooking a, a, a degree that's hiding there in the middle, like your eyes are hiding between, oh, me here and looking at things over there that you just assume. Uh, and so if you, if you have developed that recognition and you get the right instruction that points at that middle way, the, the, the utterance of another, the right view is inevitable. It cannot not occur. That's the point. So, and that's exactly what the Buddha describes it here. He said, like, the ending of the defilement, so basically the deliberation from suffering, is for the one who knows and sees, not for the one who doesn't know and see. Know and see what? That middle ground, that which is usually invisible in people's actions, in people's perception of, of, of sight, sound, smell, taste, touches, stuff that they overlook, stuff that they need, to, they need to be pointed at in order to start to discern it. The necessary basis of certain things. Even, again, you will never be able to see your eyes. Yet, you can hammer in, like on the individual basis of every perception and in general, that it's impossible, it will be impossible to see if eye organs stop working. It's just inconceivable. So simply, that which starts as an abstract thought of, oh, my eye organs are because of which I'm seeing this, Start including into every time you're engaged with sights, sound, smell, taste, touches, respective organs. You will not be able to be to experience the, the any kind of sense of touch, uh, presence of the body here and now, if there is not that living physical body over there simultaneously existing, or over here, you can say it. So the point is not to 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 try to attend to what that source might be, because that would be on the level of already attending to the objects of your senses, including mentally. Uh, the point is to discern the necessity of the source while your attention is resting on this or that. So that's how, that's why sense restraint is necessary, to just force you to withdraw from the dependence on the sense objects and the degree that your mind kind of is engaged with. And once you're withdrawn from that overly proliferated dependence on the sense objects, you actually then get to, well, you could, there is at least some possibility that then you get to discern ah necessity of the phenomenon of the living eyes that exists simultaneous to the things I'm seeing and I'm engaged with. So just to that degree, you don't need to then seek and find out what those eyes really are. You want what those eyes really are is that uh, an invisible aspect that's simultaneously present in the opposite direction of whatever you are currently attending. In the nutshell, that's the only significance, and you could see. Okay, you could still take it to mean wise reflection, but what if you take it to mean something to mean something as deep as I just described, something as hard to see as I just described? Is it really far fetched then? Then taking it to mean uh, uh, in such manner plus instruction of another? Oh yeah, then the right view is certainly more possible. It certainly makes even more sense. Like if you are already discerning, already undermining everything you see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think for that matter. Everything you do, you're undermining by recognition of the necessary basis for it that cannot be yours at the same time, that's not yours, that has its own field, that has its own existence, that has its own course, that has its own characteristics. Then you recognize, oh, okay, if I start seeing my whole experience undermining that manner, and I get the right instruction of where the dukkha is, it's, it's, it's very likely I will be able to understand it. But 
if I remain just regarding reading the Sutta and thinking Yoniso is just that wise reflection, just sit down and consider things before you do them, which is nice, nobody denies that, but it's not deep enough. He does not undermine your sense of presence here and now enough for the Dhamma to apply. So that's that's kind of the point. And often we'll come across that, especially if we go through this, these um, Sutta studies. It's not like that common translations are wrong. It's just they're not accurate enough. Like, And you could see, like, say, if you, if you are rightly considering the necessary basis, the necessity of the organs, living functioning organs of your eyes simultaneously present while you're looking at this thing now, any lust, any aversion, whatever might be that level of engagement will be bracketed, will be put second to the necessary basis for it. That's why it's like eye organ sights or anything in between, as the suttas often describe, he experienced this passion towards because it's undermined rightly. So when and whenever there is absence, whenever there is lust, aversion, delusion undermined, there is a rising of wisdom. So you could see that if you take Yoniso to mean this, what we are just what I'm describing here and now now, it's like, oh yeah, that includes wise reflection for sure. Like you cannot unwisely reflect unwisely while you're simultaneously undermining your lust, aversion, loss of perspective with the right order. So if there is no lust, if there, if, or there's diminishing of lust, diminishing of aversion, diminishing of delusion, there is pretty much uh, non, there is an increase in the right perspective. So if you're not lustful, you're less likely, well, if you're not lustful, you will not be unreasonable. Whenever people are unreason, unreasonable, whenever they lose context, lose perspective, it's on a kind of lust aversion or delusion. There's no other option there. Um, so if you take Yoniso to mean this and then work towards understanding it, then you will need very little instruction to apply because this is already 50% of the work. And that's exactly why it's so important. And the whole sutta starts with that. Ending of suffering, ending of defilements is for the one who sees, not for the one who doesn't see. He doesn't see what? Yonisumanasikara and Ayonisumanasikara. He sees the degree, he sees the extent, he sees that simultaneous relationship. And then continues, so when you attend not through the source, defilements, greed, aversion, delusion increase. And once arisen, they grow. When you attend through the source, defilements don't arise and once arisen they diminish and that that's actually in another sutta where the buddha talks about hindrances where people commonly think hindrances you deal with hindrances by countering them by doing this when this hindrance is present when doing that when this hindrance is present but actually the whole sutta sums up the whole five hindrances you deal with them by seeing through them with yonisomanasikara so that's the point see yonisomanasikara is a factor that putujana can develop with the right instruction from another, he can become a Sotapanna, and that, that Yoni Sumanasikara doesn't, it's not finished. The entire, like, development of that practice that follows for a, from a Sotapanna to an Arhant is just done through expanding the Yoni Sumanasikara until there is no part of your experience, no part of your aggregates that you could possibly attend wrongly with Ayoniso. So that habit of seeing with Yoniso is 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 thoroughly has thoroughly permeated all the aspects of your experience even like the five hindrances abandoning them you abandon them by seeing through them so by seeing their source the necessary present basis of an arisen sensuality 
you see it as a necessary present basis of a reason suba image uh, picture of beautiful image of beautiful notion of beautiful that you haven't undermined you undermine it there and then that which was the hindrance remains you become unhindered by it and it goes on for all the other we'll come to that sutta at some point and obviously I'll, 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 I'll reference it here but the point is that uh, and in other sutta yes actually the Buddha said there is not a single thing that makes centrality uh, makes the arisen centrality increase non-arisen centrality arise such as Ioniso and there is not a single thing in the world that makes the arisen centrality diminish and non-arisen centrality not arise uh, as Ioniso Manasikara so learning how to undermine things rightly through attending with the source in other words whatever you're attending you're discerning the source present there simultaneously with it is the way they would free you not just from sensuality but from the hindrances and from all the defilements and this sutta just confirms that because when the buddha describes these types of defilements and then we go now to the first defilement which is defilement to be given up by seeing so he says what are the defilements that should be given up by seeing Take an untrained ordinary person, Putujana, who is neither skilled nor trained in the teaching of the noble ones, hasn't seen them, has not discerned them. They've not seen the true persons. In other words, they don't have the right instruction, they don't have Yonisumanasikara. They don't they don't understand. They don't see for themselves internally, intimately. They don't see which things they should attend, like which things they should allow their attention to rest on, and which things they should not allow their attention to rest on. So in order to see which things you should allow your attention to rest on and which things are unsuitable for attention, you need to become a Sotapanna first. So Putujana cannot discern that. So they attend things they shouldn't and they don't attend things they should. They don't know where the emphasis is, as I often say. So there, and then explains, what are those things that they attend and they shouldn't? Well, they are things that when attended to give rise to unarisen defilements and make the arisen defilements grow. Defilements of sensual desire, defilements of being, bhava, and ignorance. So they are things that they attend, but they shouldn't. So it's, they're attending them, and the way they're attending them, that's another mistake. And then there are things that if you stop attending in that wrong way, they will not give rise to, to unarisen, uh, unwholesome, and uh, things and defilements. So if you don't attend sensual desire, if you don't attend being wrongly, if you don't attend ignorance, those things will not increase. Um, but in order to know that, in order to discern those things, you already need to have the right view and you already need to have Yonisumanasikara, obviously. So, having, uh, not knowing, Putujana not knowing what should he attend, he attends to things, he attends to unsuitable things, he attends to suitable things wrongly, He basically he doesn't know where the measure is. So when they are not attending through the source, Ayoniso, um, Manasikaroti, then the question such as, did I exist in the past? Did I not exist in the past? Was I in the past? How was I in the past? After being what, what did I become? Um, the questions about the future, will I exist in the future? Will I not exist in the future? What will be the future? How will I be in the future? After being what, what will I become? Or they are undecided about the present. Am I? Am I not? What am I? How am I? Is everything an Icha? Oh, this is an Icha. There is really an Atta. This is an Atta. Everything is an Atta. The Buddha said, but fundamentally, they don't see that for themselves. So it's all just on the level of 
uh, concerned guesswork, so to speak. And that's all a result of cultivating ayonisomanasikara, or, or of, of not seeing things through the source that they have arisen. And by doing so, by, no, by doing so, yes, by doing the, the ayonisomanasikara, you, of course, in, in, inevitably, inadvertently, put yourself as the center of the experience that's what's emphasized me seeing me hearing and so on um, and that's that's pretty much that root of ownership and root of all the problems so then through continuing such ways of thinking and uh, emphasizing things wrongly the natural questions the natural concerns of the Putujana would be where did I come from where will I go all these insecurities that revolve around me and my placement and my security and even if they don't think about the past or don't think about the future, presently they will be unclear and undecided. In other words, they will still hold onto that view of themselves as the center of the experience. Because they haven't undermined the center of the experience sufficiently enough. So that's what we said. If you stop attending wrongly to, to lust, to, to aversion, to being, to delusion, to ownership, to all these things, this will diminish. Even if you're still Putujana. So even if you still hold the self-view to some degree if you haven't heard the Buddha's teaching if you don't know, don't know the way out of the Dukkha by not attending wrongly to all these things that should not be attended to wrongly these views will diminish and you will not have the pressure in question of where am I heading what will I be, what's my future You know, will I be liberated all these, these anxious kind of things that concern oneself deeply um, so and then it says, so if they continue, <laughs> when they don't, so when they're, when they're attending to things wrongly, do not discern Yoniso and keep attending to things I, with Ioniso Manasikara, without the source, so to speak, without the recognition of the source. And then they continue engaging with such questions, was I in the past, what was, how did this come to be, and oh, what's samsara, and how did we originate, where we are heading, all that kind of, these answers that people seek to basically provide a sense of... Uh, clarity and security for their concern about their future selves where will i end up what will happen to me will it go up or down you know all these anxious things that will kind of uh, arise at some point so if a person continues doing that and tries seeking answer on that level already on the basis of all the wrong assumption and ioniso the buddha says when they attend not through the source in this way one of the following six views arises for them there is myself is not myself. I perceive self, the self with the self. I perceive the not self with the self. I perceive the self with what is not self. What view cannot arise in them is I perceive not self with not self. Because for that, they need to have had undermined their experience sufficiently enough through Yonisomanasikara. So that's why often you have people talk about, oh yes, you know, the the modern science has proven the Buddha as well that everything is impermanent, thus nothing is real. No, that's very much the wrong view. Like, it's not a question that things are not real. The question is that things are not yours even if you want them to be. So the sense of self, the center of experience that you are, you can deny. You can say, well, the sense of self is just composed out of atoms and chemicals in this body and thus it's not mine. But you still see that not-self that you described through your sense of self because there is Ioniso or other way around through, not, through the sense of not self you see self either permutation whichever way you reflect back 
there's going to be a sense of self hiding there or implicit there because you can't just willingly step outside of it. You can only undermine it through Yoniso and the right instruction. So it's not incidental that these six views, there is self or there is no self, which you say, which, which you perceive, which is a sense of self. I perceive the self with self. There is self on every level. No, no, no. Some things are not self. Some things are self. This is not myself. Uh, yesterday was myself. Today is not myself. Either way, past, future, present, uh, impersonal, impersonal, there's going to be self-hiding at some level. In other words, wrong emphasis would be hiding at some level. But it's not incidental that within this uh, six views, so these are the five, and then the sixth view is the self of mine is he, the speaker, the knower, who experiences the result of good, bad. And again, this is like, obviously, a template phrase, but you could read the subtlety into and recognize it. You know, when people say, oh, yeah, nothing's real. Everything is anatta. There is just the knowing of the experience. It's just the knower, the, the pure consciousness, the eternal chitta, all these things that people say, all those things are personified to that extent. All of those things is now what the self has become and where it is hiding. doesn't matter how you rebrand it or how you call it. If you are giving an entity, a phenomenon, superior position from which the knowing happens and perception and liberation and eternal freedom, that entity is going to be your sense of self because that's what you start with. So the question is not finding the super special thing that can be your sense of self that's, that's an atta and that's free from everything. The question is undermining everything until you can't hold on to things even if you want to. So that's why nobody can do the practice of the right view accidentally because it goes against the entire being that you are, against the grain of it, against everything that, that your inclination would go. You have to swim against them, swim against the stream, as the Buddha described. But the point is, uh, you can't do that accidentally. You have to have had some sort of faith in some sort of instruction that is now making you constantly undermine your experience through seeing the necessary present source even now and by doing so to that extent make yourself unable to own or, or assume the ownership or appropriate things that you're perceiving like your senses see by being by overlooking your eyes and being engaged with the sight delighting in it relishing it you have appropriated your eyes simply by not seeing that as a necessary basis over there independent of of your seeing so to speak independent in a sense of it's not in your control so it's not incident incidental that these views do not allow for somebody to perceive not self with not self top to bottom to be free from the atavada from the self view because for that they need to have had stopped attending to these things with ioniso and in order to do that they need to have had been sufficiently restrained withdrawn so they're not giving the the attention to things they shouldn't be giving and uh, and then the Buddha concludes this by saying this is called going into views, a thicket of views, uh, a desert of views, a contortion of views, a fetter of views, a, a writhing of views. And then being fettered by these views, an untrained ordinary person is not freed from birth, old age, death, sorrow, limitation, pain, sadness and distress. They are not free from suffering, I say. Now take the trained noble disciple, the one with the right view. They understand for themselves which things they should attend and which things they should not attend. Um, and they understand that things that they shouldn't attend is the one that make the defilements arise and on the reason uh, manifest and the reason one grow, such as sensuality, being and ignorance. So it repeats this. And then they understand that the things that they are, if they are attended to, 
they don't give rise to these unwholesome states. So then they stick to it. They don't attend to things they shouldn't and attend to the, th the things they should. So then the unarisen defilements don't arise and those defilements that are arisen, they're given up. They attend through the source. In other words, they recognize um, the nature of their situation here and now. See, when you attend through the source of the necessity of the eye organs for your sights, or just take overall necessity of this physical lump of flesh, which is the body for your experience as a whole. It's a necessary basis while you're attending particular aspect of the aspects of the experience as a whole. Well, when you're attending to that, with the right instruction, you get to recognize the certain characteristic of that necessary basis of that condition of those eye organs or the body as a whole, which is it's impermanent. It's not pleasurable being paired with a moving vehicle that you have no control over its directions. It's actually when you recognize, oh, this is uneasy. This this cannot be. Any pleasure I experience is contingent to the fact that this vehicle is still moving in the direction that can lead to my tremendous peril. So simple recognition of unownability of the body on that Yoniso level. Not like, oh, this is not mine, this is not mine, this is unownable. No, no. Seeing it as a necessary basis for attending to it, even if it's the same body you're attending, that necessary basis is unownable. That source is unownable. That source, thus, because it's unownable, came on its own. It's subject to its own directions. Inconceivable. Doesn't see you. You don't exist for it. Thus, it cannot be in your possession eternally. It cannot remain unchanged internally. And that all becomes implicit. So that's why when a Sotapanna, who has stopped attending to wrong things, who has developed Yonisumanasikara, who has received instruction of what to look for in terms of suffering, he recognizes. When he attends through the source, he recognizes this is the suffering. This is the origin of suffering. This will be the ending of that suffering. And this is the practice that would cement that cessation of that suffering. They would cement that freedom. Because that's exactly what the suffering is. It's not in this or this, sight, sound, smell, taste, touches, past, future. No, no, no. It's the in the perpetual relationship between the necessary basis and your life. And things you're engaged with. With the necessary basis of that source and things you're attending through that, well, with or without that recognition of that source. That's where the suffering is. Once he recognizes that, all the concerns about past, future, who he was, what he will be, where he's heading, it's all diminished. So when somebody recognizes the relationship between the source and things he, they're attending at the same time, that is the source of their experience of attending to this thing or that thing, they have recognized the Dhamma. And by, by doing so, they give up the three fetters, as the Sutta describes. They give the ownership view, uh, deity or personality view, depending on what translation you look at. Uh, they give doubt and they give uh, grasping of the virtues and virtue and practices or holding on to. It's still about the Paramasa. We have other talks on that as well. Maybe we'll link that too. Um, basically, they give a wrong view of there is a self that's the center of the experience, independent of these aggregates, independent of sight, sound, smell, taste, touches, that perceives smells, tastes, see, and so on, hears. Um, they give up doubt in regard to what the origin is, what the actual source is. They can still doubt mundane stuff, but they can't doubt the presence of the source while they're doubting. So that's why it becomes inaccessible to doubt. See, when you're in the experience of doubting, you're attending to your doubt 
<laughs> there is the present source enduring as a necessary basis for you to be engaged in the experience of doubt. It is real as such. And they have thoroughly discerned that, and that's inaccessible to doubt, as the suttas would describe that. And um, so they give up doubt, and then they give up the dependence, the sense, the view of duty that the practice is on the level of external, mechanical things that come through your sense objects. Oh, by doing this, by doing that, by holding on to this, by believing that. So techniques, methods, uh, external authorities, uh, all that is given up because that's never where the practice was and that's never where the suffering was. So then number two, um, now number two are the defilements to be given up by restraint. And uh, the word for restraint is samvara, kept in check basically, restrained. So take a monk who, reflecting through the source, so uh, patisanka yoniso, he lives restraining the faculty of the eye. So in other words, reflecting through the source, it's like broadening of your yoniso manasikara. It's like increasing the basis. So it's a practice. So you have yoniso, you see the necessary source, and now you are, you are increasing that basis of that source so that you don't actively have to keep reminding yourself, but it stays there as a context. So being established in such habit of reflecting through Yoniso Manasikara or with Yoniso Manasikara, he lives restraining the faculty of the eye. So he restrains his eyes from seeing things that would give rise to lust and so on, even before he sees them. Because he recognizes that uh, distressing and feverish defilement that might arise in someone who lives without the restraint will not arise in me if I live with the restraint. So he's already undermined unwholesome. He recognized unwholesome. He's undermined it on the level of the view. But now he needs to practically practice, engage with preventing his eyes from going back to this, the remnants of these old habits of seeking pleasure in sights and forgetting about the necessary basis of the living body, the source that's unownable, that's, that's danger, that's peril, that's like a chopping block. Not forgetting that is then maintained simply through not allowing your eyes to distract themselves. That's the, the natural, the, the purpose of the restraint. You start doing it externally, so that then becomes this internal criteria of Yoni Sikari is developed. And then you maintain that simply through not allowing your eyes to look at things that they shouldn't. So it becomes a, like an effortless maintenance and development of Yoni Sikari, which means it becomes like develop, uh, effortless development of the path, simply through not doing certain things, not letting your eyes look at unwholesome sights. And same goes like uh, uh, reflecting through a source, restraining the, restraining the faculty of ear, nose, tongue, body, and the mind. And these are the defilements that should be given up by restraint. So, obviously, somebody without, say, Putujana, without Yonisomanasikara, if he practices restraint, he will, he will also not give rise to these states that would beset the mind with defilements and so on. But... Uh, in and of itself, that restraint will not bring Yoniso Manasikara to, to increase and become fortified because they haven't developed that. So you should still practice sense restraint, even if you were not a Sotapanna, because that can help you develop Yoniso Manasikara. But this practice here, it's done through Yoniso Manasikara, which is why in return it feeds it. That's what I mean, like, by simply not engaging with unwholesome sight, sounds, smell, taste, touches, once Yoniso is developed. So a certain a whole, a whole layer, for the lack of a better word, of defilements are simply given up through restraint. 
that's it for the one with the right view not for the one without the right view I'll keep repeating that number three defilements given up by using so what are those defilements well take a monk who reflecting through the source makes use of robes only for the sake of warding off cold heat touch of flies mosquitoes wind sun reptiles or covering up the private parts reflecting through the source he makes the use of arms food not for fun not for adornment not for decoration but only to sustain the body avoid the harm support the, the, the spiritual practice avoid illness and stuff like that so in this way i should put an end to all discomfort not give rise to new discomfort and i will live blamelessly and at ease reflecting through the source he makes use of lodgings for the sake of warding off cold heat touch of flies mosquitoes wind sun reptiles from harsh weather and to enjoy retreat seclusion reflecting through the source he makes use of the medicines and supplies for the sick only for the sake of warding of the pains of illness and promote good health for the distressing and feverish defilements might arise in someone who lives without using these things they do not arise when they use rightly so in this case again it's certain necessities such as shelter food uh, clothes uh, <clears throat> medicines even those things are not taken for granted like oh I must do this because illness is bad yes illness is bad illness will prevent you but any any engagement with doing with taking medicine or in your having a shelter or looking for a shelter or looking for robes is always maintained kept in check through ref through maintaining uh, through reflecting uh, through the source in this case source being the uh, wholesome context the necessary context that's practically relevant for your practice so uh, he seeks the lodgings with the uh, seeking of the lodging is um, is informed is 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 decided upon if the criteria are met that are suitable for practice not the criteria that come out of one's preference uh, or one's habits so it's like what do i need for practice well i need shelter from from the elements from the cold and it's uh, not overly exposed and it's seclusion and then you seek a place that meets that and that's it you don't go further because the need has been met and and again that's what i was saying in the beginning like one of the ways of discerning yoni sumanasikara is through your engagement with things and why you're doing them so if you are eating why are you eating if you don't ask that question yourself you'll be eating for the wrong reasons because that's how we all start so you need to actively keep Re, uh, re, uh, retraining your own intention in other words yes you can ignore that ignore the the necessity of food for practice and eat just because of pleasure or because of boredom or because of whatever else or you can make the effort hold on no 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 i will recollect and frequently ponder and maintain the context that food is only so that i can practice uh ending of suffering that's it that's my I will allow myself only to that extent to engage with the, with the food. So then, see when you're choosing what to eat, without losing that context, that yoniso, that source of your action of eating, it will be uh, much less likely that you will be choosing solely based on the preference. You'll be choosing more like, oh, what will last the longest? What will keep me the fullest for the smallest amount? What will not make me feel heavy and sluggish and sleepy, but what will provide the necessary nutrients? Um, so that and you have to maintain that every time you eat you mustn't lose perspective so if every time you eat every time you wear clothes every time you engage with a shelter or seek shelter or live in a shelter you don't lose the context why this environment is as such and what is its purpose 
and if if a monk with the right view practices that a whole layer of defilements will be abandoned simply on account of that then defilements to be given uh, by bearing so by putting up so take monks who reflected through the source bears cold heat hunger thirst bears the touch of flies mosquitoes wind reptiles he bears rude and unwelcome criticism he puts up with physical pain sharp severe acute unpleasant disagreeable life-threatening so in other words a degree of discomfort has to be experienced sooner or later it will come and see if there are no flies and mosquitoes and you live in comfortable environment well there is the rude words and unwelcome criticism people talking badly about you see it's on the level of you have to put up with it through the yoniso through the just so when the experience of the bad words is present you don't try to counter it defend yourself uh, show that they are wrong and so on no 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 you need to develop yoniso in regard to it that's how you deal with it so you bear it so that you can see the source of it and but if you just do that to that extent even if you don't have to seek out the actual physical discomfort sooner or later they they will come obviously uh, simply thinking what somebody said about you that you didn't like somebody might say somebody is saying you already recognize oh see there is the gratuitous resistance to that discomfort of words of another of too much cold too too cold too hot insects biting it's all on the same level so how do I deal with it by bearing so by not acting out of it by seeing through it discerning the source of it so when those things are present you're not attending to who said what you're allowing that to be while you're attending to the source of it correctly and if you do that the whole set of defilements the whole layer of them will be given up simply by bearing them with the right view not without it defilements given up by avoiding so what are the defilements one should give one should give up by avoiding well take a monk who reflecting through the source avoids a wild elephant a wild horse a wild ox a wild dog a snake a stump thorny ground a pit cliff swamp or a sewer reflecting through the source he avoids sitting on inappropriate seats walking in appropriate neighborhoods mixing with bad friends so this is again somebody who has the right view recognizes that they still have work to do they're still not an arahant so it's wise for them even if it's out of fear or or distress to to avoid a murderer avoid where wild elephants might kill you yes there is a degree oh i'm afraid i'm affected by this i shouldn't be affected by this that's correct but the way to not be affected by it is to become an arahant in order to become an arahant you'll need time because it needs to be developed and in order to have time you need to not be killed there and then so avoiding things that will end your life here and now while at the same time <clears throat> because at the same time you recognize that you have not completed the work so let me complete the work free from this imminent danger and then when imminent danger comes and you're an arahant well you might decide not to move if there is a wild elephant doesn't matter uh, the, f the follow-up the next paragraph that, that continues reflecting through the souls he avoids sitting in inappropriate seats inappropriate neighborhoods mixing with bad friends this refers to and again even Putujana can practice this to a degree this refers to like not putting yourself in the situation or situations that can then compromise your sense restraint and your precepts so in this particular this refers to monks so avoiding inappropriate seats would be secluded seats with a female present that then can give rise to either things being said out of lust or done out of lust they wouldn't have even been possible 
no matter even if he wasn't an arahant and free from sensuality, if he didn't even sit in that uh, inappropriate, secluded, hidden seat, private seat, that um, if he didn't even sit there, no subsequent things would have taken place. So somebody recognizes that I won't even put myself in that position and then I'll have nothing to deal with it. Um, in other words, I will not have broken the rules, compromised the sense restraint and everything else that could possibly follow for somebody who is not completely free. So through rightly reflecting that there is still work to be done, he avoids seats. It's not like, yeah, but you know, I'm beyond this, I should be able to sit there and so on. When you complete the work, you might, but then you won't be doing it for those reasons. And certainly those possibilities of breaking the precepts, losing the sense restraint, would not be there as options. Same, walking in appropriate neighborhoods, mixing with bad friends. I, in other words, bad friends, they can put you inadvertently in bad situations. So it's like foreseeing those things from the context of Yonisumanasikara and the work that still needs to be done. And then avoiding those things once you foresee them. And uh, by doing that, you abandon all the defilements that, that would come with it. So, what are the defilements the monk should give up by dispelling? So, take a monk who, uh, reflecting through the source, he does not tolerate sensual, aversive, or cruel thought that has arisen. He gives it up, gets rid of it, eliminates it, obliterates it. And that's that other sutta that I mentioned. He actually would explain how one gets rid of it. Because um, people usually, like, People come to read the suttas with preconceived notions already, with some ideas what practice is. So generally today you are taught, well, whenever these things are present, get rid of it. You know, uh, essential thought, replace it with this thought. This replace it with that thought. So you don't have to deal with it. You actually, you don't have to endure the weight of it. You don't have to discern it. And, uh, and then when people read this sutta, it kind of, or suttas like this, I was like, oh yes, see the Buddha says you get rid of it, you obliterate it. It's like... Yes, the Buddha says that, but he also says how you do it. And he certainly doesn't say, oh, you get rid of it simply by doing the opposite or by focusing on your nostrils and so on. He says, reflecting through the source, you, you dispel it. Uh, we'll link that sutta where he, where he clearly describes that for the five aggregates. So, the, for, sorry, for the five hindrances, not aggregates. So when there's a hindrance of sensuality present, like, if all your concern is to get rid of it, get rid of it, focus away, concentrate on something else, distract yourself from it. If you distract yourself from the hindrance, you will not be able to see what is the necessary basis for the hindrance. How can you discern through the source, through to the source, if your preoccupation is hindrance, get rid of it. Hindrance, look away, focus away, calm down, forget the nostrils, belly, whatever you focus on, just so I don't have to have this pressure in me. That's why, again, all this dispelling, all this doesn't, doesn't tolerate, uh, he gives it up, gets rid of, eliminates, apply only to somebody who is Sotapanna. So first you need to get the right view. You need to develop Yonisumanasikara, get the right view. Then you'll be able to, to see through the central thought, aversive. And by seeing through, you are not tolerating it. By seeing through the nature of the, say, sight that you are preoccupied with, full of lust, seeing through the necessary basis to that extent, see... You're not now perpetuating gratuitously that sense objects of pleasure and so on. Same with aversion, same with the thought of cruelty. And same with, like, again, so, sight, sounds, smell, taste, touches, thoughts. It's the same principle. So, he doesn't tolerate these harmful states. In other words, he does not neglect his work of discerning the necessary source that's simultaneously present. That's how you don't tolerate it. Um, and then it says, the one who practices this, no defilements can arise. 
and this is the called defilement that should be given up by dispelling. So as I said, we will link the sutta where, where it, would, uh, it describes five hindrances and I'm repeating this because it's very relevant. So it's not about when you have a hindrance of ill will, hindrance of sleeping, it's not like I'll do the opposite. I'll do the mechanical thing of focusing away of something else or visualizing things. No, no, no. You recognize what pressures you so that you can discern the necessary basis for that pressure. And that's how you become unpressured and that sign of beauty that for somebody with Ayonisomanasikara means central hindrance remains standing there. Because that's what the Buddha said. For Tathagata, there is no desire and lust internally. S uh, beautiful things remain standing in the world. It's not that he doesn't perceive what used to be uh, incentive of lust and so on. But in order to get there, you need to first get that pressure, recognize the pressure of the hindrance, not try to just immediately blindly distract yourself, get rid of it, but discern the necessary basis, and that's how you dispel it. I gave the simile many times in the past from the suttas, where it's like a turtle that the jack jackal tries to bite its limbs. And the turtle, how does the turtle deal with the mara and temptations and ways of trying to get the turtle to stick its limbs out? By retracting inside sufficiently long enough, then the jackal loses interest, and then you can walk away. And this is it, basically. By perceiving through the pressuring hindrance, that pressure will be taken away from you. And then, once you cultivate that yonisu sufficiently, repeatedly, uh, thoroughly, then even that pressure won't arise anymore. So you would have truly dispelled the hindrances. Arhant is a destroyer of the hindrances. They cannot arise for him. That's what that means. So, uh, so we are now to defilements to be given up by developing. And that's, uh, again, here monk, through Yonisumanasikara, through through correct context of Yonisumanasikara, uh, develops the awakening, liberating factor of mindfulness, recollection, sati. He develops the factor of discrimination of phenomena, discernment, which is Dhammavichaya. He develops the enlightenment factor of effort, virya, energy, zeal, uh, to do the work. He develops the uh, enlightenment factor of pity, which is uh, joy, satisfaction. Pasadi, tranquili tran uh, tranquility, and composure, which is samadhi. So again, these things are developed through Yonisumanasikara by somebody who has the right view. And the final is the equanimity, which rely on withdrawal, dispassion, cessation, and ri ripen in relinquishment. And through developing these factors, he would have abandoned all defilements through that development. So, if a monk, through Yonisumanasikara, gives up the defilements by seeing, by restraint, by using, by enduring or bearing, by avoiding, by dispelling, by developing, he's the monk that has surmounted and restrained and withdrawn from all the defilements, he has cut off the craving, Untied, untied the fetters, severed the fetters, and is rightly comprehending, the, uh, and right by rightly comprehending, the slightest traces of his conceit basically are gone. So there is no more even traces of I am, and that flavor of, 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 of ownership and things being mine, and thus he has made a complete end uh, to suffering. So um, satisfied, the monks approved of what the Buddha said. So that, yeah, that kind of concludes the sutta number two. And 
I don't want to go through like just a brief recap. Basically, it's like a for somebody who is not Sotapanna. Obviously, like the Sutta doesn't apply to you. But as I said in the previous recording, it's not like you you should not uh, try and align yourself with it. But the reason why I keep saying it doesn't apply to you because it's very easy for somebody with the right view read the suttas that are not addressed to them for them. They don't meet the necessary criteria for it, but you could still make sense out of them. See, you read the suttas and like, oh yeah, okay, I can do enduring, I can do bearing, I can do this, I can do that, I can eat for right reasons, uh, and then ignore or rather stop thinking that they also need to develop the yoni sikara. That is the necessary basis for all of this to be done rightly. So, could you make some sense out of it? You stop looking for further sense in it. And that's really the, the only reason why I keep insisting, well, no, the Dhamma starts with the right view. If you're not a Sotapanna, you do not see the Dhamma. If you're not a Sotapanna, most of the suttas don't apply to you. Because if you don't see what the practice is, how can you practice different aspects of that practice? It just makes no sense. It's not just to, to, to put people down or something. It's more like just to, to prevent from falling into thinking that you know that which you don't. And you can easily fall into that once you start making sense of all these other things. Oh yeah, you know, Satipatthana and all of this and Anapanasati. Of course, it's relatable to a degree. You can see some sense in it, but it's not on the level that it matches. Even this, as we started the Sutta, Yoni Sumanskara, wise reflection, considerate reflection, whatever people translate it. And you could see exactly where that translation came from. came from making a sense out of it. But if you're actually honest and see, but hold on. In other suttas it said that that is a factor for Sotapati. So, did my wise consideration and instruction of others, is that resulting in Sotapati when I engage with it? When I engage with it? Or do I have to keep doing it? Do I have to keep wisely reflecting each time I'm presented with these challenges and so on? Because then you realize, okay, so maybe it's not, it doesn't match the extent that the Buddha meant by it. Uh, and, uh, and, you have nothing to lose. If you take it to mean more, you can only gain. See, if it only meant wise reflection, you were already right by thinking that from the start. But if it means even something that, that contains wise reflection, but means even more, such as discerning the necessary basis of the present enduring source of that which you're attending, if you discern that, well, it's a win-win either way. So that's why for as long as there is no right view, one should really... Uh, take any sutta that they read with a pinch of salt and not forget the fact that if you were to fully understand any relevant sutta, you know, not the sutta that talks about like Buddha instructing householders how to look after their wives and stuff like that. That's irrelevant. Certainly relevant for the one who wants to practice. So if you take any sutta that's practically relevant, you, you mustn't forget that if I were to understand this sutta on the level that matters, I would be at least a sotapanna. And if I were to fully understand it, I would be an arahant like people often did at the end of the sutta. And the point is then to, to keep that in mind each time, like wisely reflect um, that each time you read the sutta, that should be the, 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 the threshold that you need to, need to hold in your mind for understanding. Because if you forget about the fact that, well, only Sotapanna truly understands, begins understanding of the sutta, then your Putujana's understanding of that sutta will become adequate. And you think, well, I'm not Sotapanna, but I understood the sutta, it's good enough. If I understand many other suttas on this good enough level, it will add up. No, it won't. It doesn't. It can add up maybe 
in a sense that then it will make you revisit all those suttas and start seeing even more in them, sure. But again, the only time you will start looking for more is if you don't think you completely understood it. If you take your understanding that you will inevitably have, and if you read anything and you make sense out of it, that's a degree of understanding. But if you any understanding you have, you take a pinch with a pinch of salt, read other suttas, then you come back to it and then see if you can understand even more. And more and more and more. And as I said, if you do that rightly, uh, that's the 50% of the right instruction is being taken rightly. Uh, and then if you develop Yonisamanasikara through not attending wrong things, that's where the constant talking about doing things rightly on the right level, uh, sense restraint, withdrawal, celibacy, because it was hard enough to discern Yonisamanasikara back in the day, it's even harder today. Uh, so if you pair those two things and know what to keep looking for and not fall into a complacent view that because you made sense out of Dhamma, thus you understand the Dhamma, while at the same time you know you're not a Sotapanna. That's a contradiction in terms. So if you don't fall into that view, then you would be keep well, you would keep pushing forward. You would keep trying to understand. The worst is to think you understood that which you didn't, or you understood that which there still carries um, more to be understood. Like Yoniso means wise reflection, fine, I won't think about it anymore. It refers to Yoniso. Whenever Buddha says Yoniso Manasikara means wise reflection, I engage with wise reflection. And because of that, you won't look for the immediacy of that term that actually is a factor for arising of the right view. Those who listen to the Buddha and got the right view upon hearing his sentence is because Yoniso has been there, waiting, developed. They didn't have to go home and wisely reconsider what they read or heard. Just upon hearing it, things slotted in place. So that's why it needs to be taken on that deeper level of, of a more immediate level. And you can pretty much take all the other key terms and notions from the suttas on that uh, on that deeper, uh, more immediate uh, level that doesn't invalidate your current understanding of it, but it certainly upgrades it. And, um, and then again, it would make even more sense how, oh, if somebody truly understands the entire instruction from the Buddha back in the day, from the beginning till the end, at the end of the talk they became an arahant, you realize, well, that's why. It wasn't like some magic. Like their mind was already there, thoroughly established with Yoniso, imperturbable Yoniso through development of sense restraint, uh, not giving, not attending, not emphasizing things that shouldn't be emphasized. And now the Buddha just, just, just described that for them in terms they should see it, and they saw it because it was already there, unwavering. Mind was already developed, tamed to an unwavering extent, to a sufficient extent. And then Arahanship was the result of it. It's like, no, nothing, nothing magic. I mean, you could say it's magical experience, but really, they did the work through that diligent and development of those enlightenment factors. <laughs>